Welcome to the Organize Anything podcast with Colette Robichaud. Hello and welcome to the Organize Anything podcast. Today we're going to talk about email, the ways it's great, the ways it can bog us down, and how you can take control of your inbox. More precisely, I'm going to put you on a diet, an email diet. Don't be afraid of the dreaded D word. This diet will help you reduce time and frustration with your inbox, and it will help you gain ideas for the right way to write an email. I've been working with clients for over 20 years, and in that time, I don't think there's ever been a client that felt they had their email where they wanted it to be. Of course, some people are better than others, but I think for the most of us, there's always room for improvement. In the last two decades, email has been one of the greatest contributors to productivity, but during that time, people are less and less willing to chat in person, whether that's on the phone or video chat, and this can be a problem. Sometimes to resolve issues professionally, we have to step away from the keyboard. To use or not to use email, that is the question. Do you feel like email has taken over your life? Well, you're not alone. Studies show most of us consider email essential to our lives. In fact, 15% said they'd rather give up their spouse than their email, but that's probably a topic for another podcast. Research also tells us if you want less email, you need to send less and you need to send better. One study showed a shocking 15 to 30% of emails are written merely to clarify, either asking for clarification or responding to emails that people have asked you to explain further. So if you want to send less email to get you less, how does that work? If you merely eliminate one out of every five of your outgoing emails, you could reduce your email by 12%. Now that seems a little bit odd, but if you think about it, or if you know that every five you send, people can send three back. So by sending less, you will get less. So eliminate one out of five and you could reduce your email by 12%. And how do we do that? Well, we need to send better. And we send better by writing better. And what are some of those things we should know about writing better? Well, I'm sure most of you have had that experience of looking in your email box and seeing someone's name that you know writes long-winded emails and you kind of have a little bit of a grunt. So what we know is that if we open an email and we see that it's very, very wordy, chances are we're going to shut it down and not read it right away. We save it for later and often we just forget about it altogether. So the key here is to keep it short. Short points, using bullets, numbering, it works really well. And add a little space in between and maybe this is going to allow people to want to read your email better. So simple writing in style also is a great way to have people uh, read your emails and understand your emails. We don't have to be formal. We want to keep it simple and use headings and bold anything to make it stand out that makes it easier for the person to read it. And this one should have really been on the top of my list, but get to your point right at the top. Summarize and then go into detail. 
Research shows that people will read a summary more than any other part in an email or other communications. So think of it like that executive summary that you'd put in the front of a, a project description. Summary in the top is going to work for you. Another question is to email or not? That is the question. Email can help us get the job done, but as a means of connection, it's really quite inadequate. Emails tend to be impersonal, directive, and so often they can be misinterpreted. So the next time you experience an issue over email, ask yourself, would it really make more sense to me right now to have an in-person conversation? Then have the courage to actually stop emailing and pick up the phone, or even better, have a meeting, either face-to-face -face or voice-to-voice. Like many of you, I've experienced too many unproductive strings of back and forth emails that should have been stopped in round two, but they continue. The problem with trying to resolve sensitive matters over email or text is quite obvious. What I call it is you start to enter the danger zone. And what we want to do is dodge that danger zone. And that danger zone happens when people are in a rush. It's so easy for the email to have a, a message that is just not being received by the receiver in the way that you want. There's so much more to communication than just words. Appearance, gestures, tone, voice, clothing, body, body language, all these things matter. And when we're in person, they all cumulatively come together to get the message across. But email is a great tool for facts, but not always the best vehicle for discussion, dialogue, and problem solving. And it's not always the wise choice for emotional issues when the tone can be misconstrued. Messages are really easily misunderstood. We can't quite always get the tone. And if the receiver has had a bad day, he may look for things in the tone that really aren't there, that it wasn't your intention. I'm thinking back to my days in corporate when one of my bosses uh, came to me and asked me about this email that came back from someone in our head office. And the gal who received her email was extremely angry and extremely upset with her. And the gal who sent it is very sweet and very articulate, but she didn't know what was happening. But when I reread her email at her request, I realized that it could be misinterpreted, that if the tone was there in your mind, that you could easily interpret it in a different way. You know, this gal did not see it when she was writing it, but it can be misconstrued. And interestingly enough, this gal went on to apply for jobs in head office. So you can even think that bad emails can be career limiting. So, you know, lots of, uh, lots of great points to take away to add into benefiting our career instead of taking it away. So remember that it's great for facts, but it's not good to clarify or apologize or brainstorm or discuss options for, for many things or problem solves. So we've really gotten away from that in-person way of dealing with things and we think email is the answer to everything. And we often want to get the email done, so we do it in haste and this ups the, the risk of what we're sending as well. We, we know that email is really not a relationship builder and the way to communicate. And today, relationships really are currency. And often there are so many ways that we're starting to work with people in, in ways that are over text and LinkedIn and all kinds of ways that we're not having those touch points that are in a more 
uh, uh, communicative way in a reality sort of way. So think about that opportunity to communicate in another way. And email promotes a reactive response rather than a careful, thoughtful one. So if we are, you know, wanting to get these emails back to people in a hurry to say something, um, even if you don't have the answer or you can't give a full answer, I find it a really good thing to say, I'm just on the fly right now. I'm going to be answering this. I will get back to you later today or even a tidbit of an answer. But rather than make it look short and that you're not possibly answering the whole question because you're reading it quickly, which I know I've done in the past when I'm between appointments in the car, just think about ways that you can send a quick snippet and say, I'll get back to you a little bit more. I want you to think about this. The emergency room doesn't treat patients in the order they walk in the door. So you shouldn't work in the order that emails arrive in your inbox or by who screams the loudest. It's best for you to take control of your own inbox. Don't give your power away and take that back. Don't give your power to the receiver who wants to put you on their schedule. Think about the time that's wasted in email. Think about copying too many people. If we think of all those minutes added up, and it might be a good idea at the time to you to think to add everyone in, but if you're thinking as a whole, you don't need 10 people reading a two minute email. It all adds up and it's just another email in their inbox. And think about all those trivial thank you emails that we send out. And not that being thankful is not something we all aspire to, but maybe within your company or your group, you know that you will not be having the need to do that. The same as not feeling the need to say, have a great weekend or things like that. So just think about the value of those. If everyone has an issue with email, we should be really cognizant of how we can use email better and really avoid those time wasters. And we also want to think about the, not only the wordiness of our emails, but the words that we use. So instead of using negative words, let's try to put it more in, in the positive. It just has a better vibe about it. And many of us are not always having a great day at work or we're reading lots of information that can be stressing us out. So why not make things a little more positive? So when you're reevaluating how you you are going to send that email, think about that. So instead of saying, don't be late for the next meeting, what if you said, uh, looking forward to seeing you at the next meeting at nine o'clock sharp. And just having that tone of casualness and, and a little more upbeat than using a negative. So many of the things we say can be rephrased in a different way. So that's something that we can think about. Let's make sure that our expressions are crisp and that we are not using too many $5 words when a 25 cent word would work. Sometimes we try to show how smart we are by our use of language. Some of those phrases are things like at that point in time, or we could simply say now, at a later date, later works just fine. Due to the fact that, what about saying because? Make an inquiry regarding, ask about, or do not hesitate to call me, give me a call or simply call me. You get the point. Today, email is the new snail mail. It has been pushed down the communication priority totem pole. Text messages, instant messages, and cell phones are all more immediate forms of reaching out. 
outside of our clients, don't expect immediate responses from your colleagues and don't keep asking them, did you get my email or follow up on non overdue items. If you want to have times to follow up, build those in at schedule times so people can expect them. Remember bad planning on someone else's part does not constitute an emergency on your part. If you're a busy professional looking for help with getting your work and home in order, connect with us on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com slash company slash organize dash anything. Next, I want to talk about the two minute rule. Think about how many times you procrastinate on emails or read emails without determining your next action. Often we just open them and leave them behind. The two minute rule was something that came out of author and productivity expert David Allen and his one of his best known books would be Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. So Allen says if it takes two minutes or less, do it now. So if you get an email and you're thinking, I can do this in two minutes, just do it. But what about those other emails, the ones that you're not doing in that two minute window? The best way to deal with these is to chunk them off in a, a bunch of time and put it in your schedule. Most of the time, we don't distinguish between the work that we have to be highly focused on or work that we can do with some distractions in the background. So what I'm suggesting is that many of these emails are work that needs some thought. They're almost like mini projects, which means they don't just get done. You have to schedule them in to get done. That scheduling might be done at the same time every day. So you might say, I do my emails at nine o'clock noon, three and before I leave, or they might be several different times running throughout the day that depend on where your work starts and stops. It really does depend on your type of business and your personal preferences. If you're a morning person, you may want to get some of these harder project type emails taken care of at the start of the day. If you are slow to wake up, maybe you do the lighter emails right away just because you don't want to make mistakes. You can be at your best, you want to be your most creative, and you want to make sure that the emails that you're dealing with are given your best attention at your best time. Speaking of morning, many of the productivity experts say don't do email first thing in the morning. I still think you should deal with them at the start of your day, but maybe do another task first. I like to always start with what are my top three priorities of the day? And I think about these before I get to my email. If we go directly into email, we often get sucked into thinking about other things and who's screaming the loudest and who's asking us for stuff. We need to intentionally think about our day and what those top three priorities are. Ask ourselves that question. What are those top three priorities that I'd like to get done if I got nothing else done today? That doesn't mean that you're sticking to it no matter what, because sometimes you have to reevaluate as you go along in the day and let go of some of those things that you thought in the beginning of the day were really important. It's okay to do that but just make sure that you are putting things at the top of your priority list that are your decisions and not what other people are trying to put on your schedule. You should live your life and work your workday with your intention and your priorities. Unfortunately, often email works against us in that regard. 
And now's the time to change the subject, or should I say, the subject line. I'll start with a personal pet peeve of mine. Prolonged subject lines with extended use beyond what was valuable when you started them. How many times are you still going back and forth with a subject line that was about four topics ago? How did it go from an update on a project to, you know, what are you bringing for the staff barbecue? We need to be more generous to the receiver. We need to change the subject line so it reflects the information that is pertinent and current. So it doesn't always work if someone wants to find info on a particular subject later on if you've got this long thread and it's really not reflective of what, it, what it's about. So always put lots of good info in that subject line and make it pertain to what's in that particular email. And you can also put the action you want people to take in, in that subject line as well. For instance, let's say you're sending an email about an event. A good title would be the Organize Anything, Ask Me Anything event. And you could say in that email, and the cutoff today for registration is at 5 p.m. So you wanna get all the info you can in there. You want to eliminate some of those questions that might come later on. You wanna preempt those. Because again, we know that we want to send better emails because we'll get, get less back. So lead with that most valuable info. And if we're looking back and reflecting on that email, I often do that W5, who, what, when, where, why. And another thing would be is, what else could they ask me about this? If it's an event and it's in person, what might they ask? They might say, what's the rain date and where's the parking? Now that might not always have to go right at the top, but if these are things and they're reading through looking for information, they're gonna go deep, let's think about getting those in at the end. So remember, most important at the top, often in a summary form, and then work your way down. So if you were mailing this email to 100 people and each person emailed you back two or three times with questions, that can really add up. So writing better emails gets you less. And I know in this regard, I had told you about keeping things short and sweet. But in this regard, I want you to think about bolding and having different categories so people can glance down and say, oh, in case of rain or where's the parking? So if you have the categories highlighted, they can read what they may want to know. And here's a little exercise or something to ponder. Think about what would happen if your receiver could only see the subject line. How would you write it differently? I'm sure you'd probably be much more specific. You'd let the reader know exactly what you wanted them to do and when, and you'd limit the amounts of words. So that's another way to reflect on the email you're sending. What if they just read the subject line? What would I need to get in and what could I leave out? When I'm presenting in person, I often play a little game I call who said it better in regard to the subject line. So it's based on, on that who wore it better. And many, many of the gals will know this a little more than the guys, but you know that who wore it better is often in the magazines or social media. So you have an A or a B and you're making a decision. So here are two. A, get back to me as soon as possible, or B, call me on Friday before noon. So we wanna make sure that we are evaluating our email and taking the extra time and really having a good subject line that stands out and delivers the information that we want the receiver to receive. 
We also want to create that findability factor and a better subject line does that so the person can file appropriately for themselves. And if the subject line is not to your liking, you can change it. Many people don't know that, but it's easy for you to change that subject line. You can put it in your own language and ask yourself, if I were to look for this email again, what would I search under and put in that new subject line? It could have keywords or tags or flags. Today we have a whole bunch of ways to organize our email, even color coding that allows us to increase that findability. And finally, the perfect send off. Before you hit send, predict what outcome could come from this and adjust accordingly. What could someone think if they received this email? If it is a sticky issue, make sure you have a second look and maybe you need to ask a peer to edit for you for tone, readability, and completeness. We always want to have good spelling, punctuation, and grammar. And we want to double check for accuracy of addresses, details, numbers, times, and dates. I know I'm a terrible typist, so I have to be very careful with those details. So think of really going through and double checking those. Uh, often if I have anything with dates, or numbers, I have a second look and sometimes even a third look and sometimes I even wait because think about what mistake could happen with the wrong time or the wrong date and how many email you could get back from that. If we're looking to get less email, having any mistakes in those emails in that regard can affect how many emails you're getting back asked to back to clarify and you'd have to send out another email right away, but getting it right the first time is really important. And one more thing, if it is of high value, you may need to ask for a confirmation that they received your email. In conclusion, I hope this diet has given you the skinny on how to reduce overwhelm by limiting the amount of email you receive and helped you shed valuable time wasted spent sifting through messages and countless threads. Now you can spend more time getting to the important part of your job. You can prevent misunderstandings and gain a reputation as a concise communicator, someone that can get things done. Now is the time to create a lean and fit inbox, one that is ready to work for you. I hope this email diet will reduce stress and improve your email efficiency so you can get the most out of each day. Follow Organize Anything on Instagram for inspiration, goal prompts, tips to get and stay organized, and more. To find Colette, search at Organize Anything. Thank you for listening to Organize Anything with Colette Robichaud.